Good morning and a welcome to Bachelor Creek. Welcome to Family Worship Sunday. We're so glad to see all the families, the kids, parents, adults, grandparents, everybody who's gathered together today. As we conclude our series, Won't You Be My Neighbor? Over the last four weeks, we've discovered that the best way to love your neighbor is to be a good neighbor. And today, it was hinted at in the video, but today, we all want to identify our one. Today, before we leave, we want you to answer the question, who's your one? Who's the the person in your life, the person that you care about and love, a family member, a, a friend, a coworker, a neighbor who doesn't know Jesus that you want to come to know Christ as their Lord and Savior? We want you to identify who is your one. The idea comes in Luke 15, Jesus tells this story about a shepherd The shepherd has a hundred sheep and and one of the sheep goes missing. The one sheep is lost and he says, won't the shepherd leave the 99 to go find the one lost sheep? And he won't stop searching until he finds it. That is how Jesus feels about the lost. And we are to have the same love, the same concern, the same burden for the lost ones in our lives. But here's the problem. We think someone else will do it. We think that the the pastors will do it, the staff will do it, the elders will do it, somebody else will do it. We make all kinds of excuses. Uh, Tim Keller says, the church is often like a football stadium where 22 people need a rest and thousands of people need exercise. We we think someone else is going to do it, but but the Great Commission says, go and make disciples of all nations. That's all of our responsibility as believers is to reach the lost in our lives. And in Mark chapter 2, we're going to look at a story today where we find the kind of faith it takes to reach the one. You see, our relationship with God may be personal, but it's never private. We see that very clearly in Mark chapter 2. If you have your Bibles turned there, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Mark chapter 2, we're going to begin reading in verse 1. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, The people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, "'Son, your sins are forgiven.'" Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Mark tells us in verse 5 that Jesus was able to see their faith. And after Jesus saw their faith, he responded by healing the man and forgiving the man of his sins. 
today I want us to focus on the four men and the paralyzed man and the faith that Jesus could see. Before we unpack this, I want to give you two thoughts. First, Jesus saw their faith through their actions. James 2.17 says, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Real faith in Jesus will always produce some kind of works, some type of actions that honor him and others. Through the acts of these men, we see their faith at work. Another thought comes from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. It says, without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists, and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. These men who brought their friend to Jesus are an example of what faith is and what faith does. We also see that Jesus responds to their faith. From these men and their faith in Jesus, we see six characteristics of faith that you and I should have as a part of our faith in Jesus. Their faith demonstrated that they were for the one in their life. So when Jesus saw their faith, what kind of faith did he see? And what kind of faith should Jesus see in you and me? First, a for-the-one kind of faith is a compassionate faith. A compassionate faith. Now, the word compassion isn't used here, but it's seen. At some point, these men had a conversation. They had heard that, that Jesus was in town. They had heard about what Jesus could do. Perhaps one of them, or maybe all four of them, had, had been healed by Jesus in the days or weeks leading up to this. By this time, Jesus had already healed hundreds of people. But somewhere in this town, these men began to care for this paralyzed man. They started having sympathy, empathy, and eventually it moved to compassion. Whenever true compassion is born, action will follow. Now let me pause here for a moment. This paralyzed man was already a rich man. He may not have had a lot of money, he may not have lived in a big house, but he did have four people in his life who loved him enough to care for him and do what they're about to do. You see, he had something that money cannot buy. He had the love and compassion of these men in his life. God was about to do an incredible work in this man's life because his friends loved him. God loves to work in the atmosphere of love and compassion. You see, during Jesus' day, the sick, the injured, the elderly, they were often left to fend for themselves unless they had a friend or family member to care for them. Their acts of care are acts of compassion. To help someone who is unable to help themselves is compassion. Colossians 3 verse 12 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion. Compassion is a choice. You choose to love and you choose to care. Like putting on a shirt, you put on compassion. You roll up your sleeves and you help. You sit down and you listen. You care for them. You pick up after them. You cook for them. You clean up after them. Anyone who has lovingly taken care of a sick child knows compassion. 
Those of you who have cared for an elderly parent, you understand what compassion looks like. But when you have compassion and faith and put them together, you have a powerful force that is ready and willing to do anything for the glory of God. When Jesus saw the compassion and love of these men, he saw their faith and action. Second, we are to have a persistent faith. Somewhere out in this town, four men were having a conversation about Jesus. And one of them had an idea. Now, I need some help. You guys tell me, what are we going to name this paralyzed man? Anybody got a name? Yeah? Bob? Okay. So, Bob is this paralyzed friend. And these four guys are talking, and they say, hey, I've got an idea. Why don't we bring our friend Bob to Jesus? Well, why don't we see if Jesus will heal him? So these four men go to Bob, and, and they tell Bob their plan. And Bob likes it. He agrees to it. But, but I wonder, this could have been Bob's idea. It's possible. He could have told one of his friends, hey, any way you can get some guys and, and bring me to Jesus? But, but whatever happened, they get a mat, they put Bob on it, and they carry him through town to where they heard that Jesus was staying. They get there, and there's a crowd packed all inside the house. There's a crowd packed all around the outside of the house, listening to Jesus through the windows and the doors. In fact, Luke's gospel tells us in Luke 5 that they tried to take him into the house and lay him before Jesus. They, they probably tapped on some people's shoulders. Uh, excuse me, we're trying to get our friend through to Jesus. But, but the crowd wouldn't budge. That They probably gave him some, shh, hey, quiet. Quiet, quiet, Jesus is teaching. They, they couldn't get through. They just, you can wait till Jesus is done teaching and then, and then maybe he'll see him. But for whatever reason, this crowd would not let the men through. But this wasn't gonna stop them. You know why? Because they had a persistent faith. They were convinced that Jesus could do something and they were gonna get this man to Jesus one way or another. One of them noticed some stairs outside the house leading up to the roof, which was common in houses in those days in first century Israel. So he said, hey, I got an idea. Why don't we take him around the outside? We'll lead him up the steps. We'll dig a hole in the roof and we'll lower him down to Jesus. And I imagine they all kind of looked at him through the side of their eye like, what? And then they thought about it and they go, that's genius. Let's do it. So they, they pick Bob up and, and they take him around the, the outside stairs. When they get up there, they have to dig through about two feet of, of wood, dirt, grass, and sticks. You know why they didn't change their mind or quit? Because they had a persistent faith. So they started digging a hole through the roof. Now, I don't know if they found a tool when they got on top of the roof or they just started using their hands, but they start digging. Debris started falling in the house. It, it interrupted as, as Jesus was teaching, and I just picture these self-righteous religious leaders in there kind of brushing dust off their royal robes. But these men kept going. They kept digging until there was a hole big enough in the roof to lower this man down to Jesus. So they lower the man down through the roof onto the floor in front of Jesus. Do you know what got that man to that place at that moment? Persistent faith. 
Now listen carefully. In Matthew 11, verse 12, Jesus said, from the time John the Baptist began preaching until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing. That doesn't mean that you're gonna force Jesus on others or you're gonna be mean or arrogant with the gospel. What it means is that you're gonna find that when you're involved in bringing people to Jesus, you're gonna be swimming upstream. You're gonna be walking into the wind. You're gonna be climbing uphill. And the forces of darkness are going to are gonna put obstacles and roadblocks in your way. You will have to be persistent, determined, and forcefully advance the gospel through the sin, the darkness, the rebellion, and the selfishness of this world. Some of you are saying, I, I don't know enough about the Bible to tell people about Jesus. Then let's get learning. Let's move the gospel forward. You say, I can't go on that mission trip. I don't have enough money. Let's raise some money. Let's earn some more money. Let's cut back on expenses. Let's move the gospel forward. You say, I don't know how to help others. I don't know how to minister to other people. Then let's find out. Let's get you signed up for our upcoming next experience. Let's help you discover your spiritual gifts. Let's talk through your experiences and your passions and, and what you really desire when it comes to ministry. Let's move the gospel forward. When Jesus saw the persistence of these men, he saw their faith in action. Third, we are to have a resourceful faith. A faith that truly believes that Christ is the only way will be inventive. Faith will find a way. Look again at verse four. Mark tells us they could not get to Jesus because of the crowd, so they quit. So they gave up and went home. So they just decided to, to pray about it. So they sat outside waiting and hoping that they would get to see Jesus. No, no. Mark tells us they got creative, innovative, resourceful, inventive. Mark says they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it. We're not told whose idea it was, but faith understands there's more than one way to tie a shoe. If we can't get to Jesus through the front door, then we're going to wreck the roof. Sometimes you have to do something a little creative and a little drastic to get people to Jesus. Sometimes ministry as normal doesn't reach people. Faith will drive you outside of your comfort zone. But let me be clear, this isn't being creative for creative sake. If these four men had arrived at the house where Jesus was and they could have walked through the front door, they would have walked right on through the front door. They had to be resourceful because the normal way of getting this man to Jesus wasn't going to happen. Part of having a resourceful faith also means that we understand our ones. That we see them as people and not as projects. We know their struggles, their fears, their desires, their worries. And we can speak the gospel into those situations. In other words, we're gospel fluent. Gospel fluency. Gospel fluency is speaking the gospel through the narrative of other people's lives. That means the language that we use, the words that we say to communicate the gospel needs to intersect with what's going on in people's lives. 
So for example, when someone is talking about loneliness, we say, you know, Jesus never leaves us or forsakes us. Jesus is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. When when somebody is talking about uh, needing to accumulate more stuff, I, I need to get more money because if I just had more money, then I'd be satisfied. If I just had more money, then I'd be happy. And so we tell them, you know, Jesus says, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Jesus says you can serve God or you can serve money, but you can't serve both. And so we begin to, to share with them that, that true satisfaction and fulfillment will never be found through the pursuit of money. That only through Jesus will you find what your soul has been longing for all along. We need to have the fluency to speak the gospel into the everyday narratives of people. Jeff Vanderstelt said, we need to know how to believe and speak the truth of the gospel, the good news of God in and into the everyday stuff of life. I discovered this to be true when I was living in Texas and I began going to a barber shop in Dallas. It was called Brass Tax. It was like this kind of upscale, a hipster barber shop. But I went there and there was this young barber, his name was Nick, Nick Maddox. And Nick and I, from the outside, couldn't have been more different. Nick was about 24 years old, real big, thick guy. He had long hair, tattoo sleeves down both arms, had the most colorful language you can imagine. But I began to build a relationship, a friendship with Nick, 30 minutes to an hour at a time every few weeks when I would go in to get my hair cut. And what I loved about Nick is he was completely unfazed that I was a pastor. He wasn't a Christian, but man, he loved to have conversations about anything and everything. And one of the things that that I found out about Nick was that he had this girlfriend and he was considering getting married to her. And so he had all kinds of questions and and honestly some pretty skewed ideas on on what marriage was compared to, to a Christian view of marriage. And I was able to explain to him, you know, marriage is of God. It's not a government thing. It's not just some civil thing. Like marriage is the foundation of the gospel. That the relationship between husband and wife is the way that Jesus' relationship is with the church. And I was able to talk about the idea of a covenant relationship. And so he began to ask more and more questions. And through the course of my time there, his girlfriend got in a bad accident. She survived. But, but he was really just struggling with this because he talked about, you know, my girlfriend, is, she's, she's such a kind person and, and she treats people fair and she, she always thinks about others above herself and, and why would something like this happen to her? I just don't understand. And I was able to explain to Nick about how we live in a fallen world and because of sin, we have things like natural disasters and cancer and accidents. And I was able to explain to him, this hasn't always been the case, that that when God created this world, it was perfect without sin. And I was able to share with them as a Christian, the hope that I have is that the mess that we live in right now is not all that it will be, that we have a God who is one day going to make all things new once again. I have a hope that that, that the, the sin in this world will not have the last word. And he just began to ask more questions and questions. You see, if I had gone to Nick and said, Nick, Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Is he your Lord and Savior? If you don't believe that, then then you're going to go to hell. He would have never heard me. He he would have shut that down immediately. See, I had to show him how the gospel intersected with his life. And that's what these men in Mark chapter 2 did. When Jesus saw the resourcefulness of their faith, he saw their faith 
in action. Fourth, we are to have a courageous faith. We must have a courageous faith if we plan on reaching people for Christ. Mark tells us in verse 4 that these four men dug a hole through the roof. They dug a hole big enough to lower this man through. They didn't ask for permission. They just started digging. And I can imagine that the four men on the roof, they, they thought about the owner being mad. They thought about how upset some people were going to be for digging through the roof. But you know what? They did it anyway. Whenever God lays someone on your heart to share Christ with, whether it's a family member, whether it's a friend, whether it's a coworker, whether it's a neighbor, or whether it's a stranger at Walmart, it will always take courage. One more thing. These men knew the difference between the value of a roof and the value of a person. They understood that fixing a roof is a lot easier than fixing a person. These men could repair the roof, but only Jesus could repair the man. So you do your part, and Jesus will do his. When Jesus saw the courage of their faith, he saw their faith in action. Fifth, we are to have a sacrificial faith. See, somebody would have to pay for the roof. Somebody would have to fix it. That would take time. That would take labor. That would take expense. A faith that brings Christ's power to the world is always willing to pay the price. I'm assuming that these men who tore through the roof were willing to pay for the damages, were willing to have them be repaired, because for them, the value of the paralyzed man was much, much more than the value of the roof. Faith in Jesus leads to sacrifice. As a person of faith, you're willing to pay the financial sacrifice to spread the gospel. You're willing to sacrifice time to advance the gospel. And you're willing to give up this and that for the sake of God's kingdom to see people come to Jesus. When Jesus saw the sacrifices their faith was willing to make, he saw their faith in action. And lastly, number six, we are to have a unified faith. You look closely at verse five, Mark tells us that Jesus saw their faith. Jesus didn't say he saw the man's faith, but the men's faith. When Jesus saw their faith, he saw the faith of all five men. They all had faith, and specifically, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. You don't become a son of God and have your sins forgiven based on someone else's faith. They all had faith. And we're not told about the level of faith they had, but we're told that Jesus could see their faith. The Bible talks about how some people had great faith, others who had little faith, while others still had weak faith. Regardless of what level of faith they had, it was enough. They combined their faith, rolled up their sleeves, one on one corner, one on another, one on the third corner, one on the fourth corner. In faith, they picked him up. In faith, they carried him through the town. In faith, they tried to get through the crowd. In faith, they went up the stairs. In faith, they dug a hole in the roof. And in faith, they lowered the man down to Jesus. As they unified their faith, they were positioning themselves 
to see a miracle. Now, I need four volunteers to help me hold up a mat. I need four people to hold four corners of this mat. Any volunteers? Raise your hand. Yep, right there. Come on up. Come on up. Right there in the back. Come on up. Right there. Camden. All right, come on, come on up here. Walk up here. One more. Carson, you want to come? All right, each of you hold one corner of this mat. Okay. Stretch it out, stretch it out, okay. <laughs> you have faith not to fall off the stage, yeah. So, these four friends, these four people brought their friend to Jesus. And and, and you know what? All of us, every single one of us, we start out spiritually paralyzed, like the man on the mat. But before I came to Christ, I, I could not stand spiritually, I was lost. Sin had, had me paralyzed from the head down. But you know what? I, I, had, I had a grandfather who lived a life of faith, who, who showed me what it looked like to, to be a person of integrity, who his, his faithfulness, his commitment, his love of Scripture impacted my faith. I had parents and, and I had a mother who would make sure that we were in church every Sunday. That, that made that a priority in my life. And whether it be youth camps, retreats, mission trips, conferences, whatever it would take, if it was going to help grow my faith, she said, cost doesn't matter, I would have an opportunity to be there. I, I had a youth minister holding a corner of my mat. A youth minister who invested in my life so much. He was patient with me. He showed me that faith is real. He was honest He showed me that that being a Christian isn't boring, but it's the most exhilarating, life-giving thing you could ever commit your life to. And then I had a a volunteer in our youth ministry, a student ministry volunteer who who took me out for for pizza and explained the gospel to me in such clear terms and was so patient as I was asking questions and and he helped me lead through some questions and, and helped me prepare to be baptized. I had four people who were, who were holding up a mat, who, who lifted up this paralyzed sinner and carried me through the town of bad memories and past the crowd of criticism and up the stairs of hope and they lowered me through the roof of truth so I could get to the feet of Jesus so that Jesus could say to me, my son, your sins are forgiven. And every single one of us who have ever put our faith in Jesus have had people in our life who have done the exact same thing. Can you give it up for our volunteers? Like this. See, God used the unified faith of others in my life, and He used my individual faith to save me. So, as we conclude today, I just want to ask you a couple questions. 
whose faith is changing your life? Whose faith is changing your life? And whose life is being changed by your faith? Who's your one? Who's your one? Because someone else's miracle may be on the other side of your faith. Somebody else's miracle may be on the other side of your prayers. Someone else's miracle may be on the other side of your risk, your encouragement, your bank account, your inconvenience. Like the four men who brought their friend to Jesus, bring your one to Jesus because he's the only one who can forgive their sins. Bring your one to Jesus because Jesus changes everything. A for-the-one kind of faith is a compassionate faith. It's convinced that Jesus can and will help the person you care about, so bring them to Jesus. A for-the-one kind of faith is a persistent faith that will not give up because of obstacles and detours. A for-the-one kind of faith is a resourceful faith. It's innovative, creative, and inventive. It's comfortable thinking and acting outside of the box. A for-the-one kind of faith is a courageous faith. It's brave enough to do what others wouldn't. A for-the-one kind of faith is a sacrificial faith. It's willing to pay the price for God's glory. A for-the-one kind of faith is a unified faith. It's the combination of several believers joining their faith together to accomplish a mission. So I simply want to ask you today, do you have a for-the-one kind of faith? Let's pray. God, I pray that today you would give us a heart, a passion, a burden for the one in our life. I pray that every single one of us can think of, of someone who, who doesn't know you, somebody who is lost without you. And God, that that person would always be in our mind. God, that you would give us the words to say that, that our faith would be shown through our actions, that we would have the kind of faith that would reach the one. God, we can't save them but we can bring them to you. God, because only you can forgive their sins. Only you can change everything. God, help us to have a heart for the one. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.